Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to resurrection life. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened. Faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help move us along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, today is St. Valentine's Day, but also it's World Marriage Day, and this is a day that offers us the opportunity to focus on building a culture of life and love that begins with supporting and promoting marriage and the family. Now, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops' theme for this year is to have, to hold, to honor. You must have some important wisdom on love to share with us based on your pastoral experience, huh? Well, I don't know that Archbishop Blair is an ex- expert on love, <laughs> other than <laughs> that uh, all of us as priests are ministers of the divine love that is uh, reflected in our being created in the image and likeness of God. We come from the hand of love, and we're called to love one another uh, as Christ loved us, which is, of course, that's the, the catch, that uh, we're sinful and fallen. And so we can love the wrong things or in the wrong way, or we can fail in love, but we are to love as Christ has loved us, even on the cross, by making a gift of self. That's the kind of love St. Valentine made. The tradition tells us that he was martyred for the sake of Christ, so he had a love unto death. And uh, we also know that uh, marriage is um, meant to be until death do us part. Priesthood and religious life are meant to be forever. And so I think in our heart of hearts, we all know that love is meant to be forever. But we also know our, our weakness, our sinfulness, the things that can go awry in this world. And that's where we ask God to save us and raise us up when we fail and to help us to be faithful to the end. Well, we can continue talking about love, but let's talk a, a little bit about the fact that the governor has opened up the capacity for church attendance to 50% now. That has gone into effect already, is it, has it not? Yes, it has. What do you think that this means for church communities within the Archdiocese of Hartford? Well, I've written to all the pastors, all the priests, uh, saying that we welcome this uh, opening up, which I don't think is at all unreasonable, uh, 50% uh, uh, of church capacity. And, uh, but, of course, also following all the norms, you know, the distancing, the masks, and everything else. But I have told the priests that 
nevertheless, as pastors, they have to make their own decision about safely accommodating everybody. If, uh, for example, at the cathedral, uh, 50% of the cathedral could be several hundred people. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you honestly that we are still uh, hesitant uh, to do that uh, right now. Uh, it is a question of religious liberty uh, as well, which the courts have, have upheld. But um, that religious liberty also has to be exercised responsibly. And responsibly means that myself as Archbishop, our priests, we, we want to be very responsible in, in making use of the latitude that's been, been granted to us. Uh, you know, at one point we thought that maybe we could start to have confirmations in the cathedral, again, because it's so big. But we, we scoped it out there and, and decided that it's, it's still too risky to open it up too widely. And it creates other kinds of situations there that, that we don't feel are, might be safe right now. So it's a, ju a judgment of prudence. But I do think that we can, uh, using the precautions we have and being prudent about it, we certainly can in welcome the increase from more than just 100 people in those places where 50% capacity would allow for more than 100. And I think most priests and pastors are welcoming this and, and feel that they can deal with this very responsibly. And responsibly means also sanitizing between masses, and that could be a major effort for the parish to undertake as well, couldn't it? It could, but we're looking more into that in as much as the uh, scientific reports, medical reports, seem to indicate that the original grave concern about surfaces and, and touching is not as perhaps as, uh, as bad as was originally thought. Now that doesn't mean that there can't that there we can dispense with the sanitizing and everything, but uh, I think there's some uh, and we do continue to do it. I insist that we do that. We'll, we'll wait and see. There might be some easing of that. I don't I don't know. Tomorrow is President's Day. It's a day that is celebrated on the third Monday of February every year. It is traditionally viewed as a time of patriotic celebration and remembrance for the life and achievements of George Washington. The cancel culture of our day wants to cancel George Washington because he was a slave owner. They even want to cancel Abraham Lincoln because he was involved in an Indian war. You're a history aficionado. What do you think of this cancel culture of our day, Archbishop? Well, I think we have to be attentive to the fact that people in our society do have legitimate grievances that go back a very long way. And I am sympathetic, certainly, and not just sympathetic, but I feel obligated uh, to try uh, as best I can individually and as a pastor of souls uh, to, to have people uh, appreciate uh, what some people uh, go through in our culture, that it's not always a very level playing field, and there, there remain prejudices and historical things that are not good. Uh, you know, again, our bishop's conference issued... Yet another pastoral letter on racism in our country, not just about black people, although primarily that, but also, uh, you know, Asian Americans, Native Americans and such. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think once this pandemic's over, we in the Archdiocese do have to find ways to bring people together. And I think the best way to do that is by personal contact for people to share their stories uh, as real people, not just as an idea. But be that as it may, obviously right now it's not possible to do that. We were poised to do it, and it had to stop. 
But having said that, I do think that, uh, to get to your question, I think, you know, to uh, try to erase history or to judge uh, the past by the grievances, however legitimate, of the present uh, is not uh, very helpful in the in the long run and can be destructive of good things as well as bad. In the, in the culture of the New Testament, slavery was taken to be just a reality of life. What does it say in one of the epistles? Uh, Slaves, be subject to your masters. And then it talks about uh, masters, uh, you know, tr- treating their slaves as br- brothers and sisters uh, because of Christ. So uh, that doesn't, does that mean then that we should throw out the New Testament as well or or the Bible? Because the Bible in those times, the institution of slavery was there, not directed toward any one race, but it was just uh, the result of war and conquest and all kinds of things in the sinful world. So I think it doesn't do any good to try to obliterate uh, the past. And I think it, it has to, those kinds of questions have to be balanced by the, the good things that were done by people in the past as well. So it's a, it's a delicate thing, but I think we have to be very careful when we, you, you can't cancel culture. I mean, we, we, there's a history to the world and a history to society, not only the United States, but every society. And when we look back and see things that by today's lights we recognize were sinful or unjust, I think we're very foolish if we don't realize that we also are perpetrating sinful and unjust things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right now uh, in our country, over 60 million unborn children have been killed through abortion. Uh, there may come a day that uh, people will look back and say, this was a, a horrible, how could a, how could a society have done such a thing? You know, and they would be right. Uh, so the question is, we shouldn't pretend as though we are going to remedy all the Ills, uh, Ills of the world and the crimes and sins today, and we're just going to point a finger to the past, because these things continue, these kinds of evils continue to plague the world. And I dare say, until Christ comes again, uh, we will continue to be living in a sinful world that needs redemption. So rather than try to cancel the past, work on perfecting the present. I think an honest, an honest look at the past and not celebrating those things in the past that are, are uh, unjust or evil, but, but recognize them historically for what they are and, and moving on and also recognizing there were, were good things, uh, you know, a figure like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, to say that they, they need to be canceled uh, because of they, the, the times in which they lived, I don't think that's, that's helpful to anyone. Well, Tuesday is Mardi Gras, Carnival, Fat Tuesday, or Shrove Tuesday, it's often called, too. A time to indulge before the start of the Lenten season on Ash Wednesday. Historically, people would spend Fat Tuesday indulging in the foods and the behaviors they would abstain from during Lent. Is there a proper way to celebrate the day before Lent begins? Well, yes, you can have fun, but not, not to excess. Uh, that's never good. But uh, yeah, if you want to celebrate Mardi Gras, that's fine with, with me. I, I, it's a great tradition, and if it's done responsibly, and if, if, it's, if its Lenten context is appreciated, well, then it's very good. In other words, it's the Fat Tuesday. It's the, the day to clean out the, uh, the, the pastries and, the, and all that because tomorrow we start the discipline of Lent. Then, then it's a great thing. 
The problem, of course, is when we celebrate Mardi Gras, but then we don't do anything for Lent. You know, so it, it loses its significance, really. Just to make it a day of partying and indulgence uh, for its own sake is not, not very helpful. The next day, of course, is Ash Wednesday, and normally ashes are distributed at Mass, but the COVID-19 health crisis has forced many changes. The Congregation for Divine Worship released a note laying out the procedures for priests around the world to follow for the distribution of ashes. Can you talk for a moment about these guidelines and how priests in the Archdiocese of Hartford will be distributing ashes? Let's put aside COVID for a moment. Just in general, always, you can distribute ashes in two ways. You can mark the forehead, as we are accustomed to in the United States, or you can sp- sprinkle a little bit of ash on the on the head of a person, uh, such as they do in Italy. If you watch the Pope get ashes on Ash Wednesday, they sprinkle a little bit of ash on his head. That seems strange to Americans because it's not, or at least most of us, because it's not our custom, but both are equally valid. This year, the Holy See has made a medical decision that sprinkling on the head could be used, but they haven't uh, nullified uh, the normal method of doing it. So uh, I've shared this uh, uh, from the Holy See with our priests, and I know the hospitals, for example, are looking, some of them, at ways that they can uh, distribute ashes to those that wish them. Uh, and um, I, I hope that uh, there will be a, a pastoral way forward here that, it's, that it, uh, can, it will still be done and done in a safe uh, way. Pope Francis recently came out with something regarding the, the right to life and the importance and the sacredness of human life. Do you want to talk about that, Archbishop? Yes, you know, in regard to uh, right to life, uh, I know that there's been scuttlebutt about uh, claims that Pope Francis uh, is has a different view uh, from the American bishops uh, regarding abortion and such. And it's very interesting, on Monday, February 8th, he told diplomats uh, at the, a meeting he has with uh, the 183 uh, ambassadors for di- those co- 183 countries around the world that have diplomatic relations with the Holy See. He said that the right to life is a foundational human right. He says we have an unalienable duty to protect human life from conception to natural death. He said it is painful to note that under the pretext of guaranteeing presumed subjective rights, a growing number of legal systems in our world seem to be moving away from their inalienable duty to protect human life at every one of its phases. You know, again, this desire on the part of some people to to, uh, drive some kind of wedge between the Pope and the American bishops, for example, on this issue is certainly not uh, at all justified, and it's not true. That's good to hear. Let's uh, move on to look at our gospel for today on this sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Today's gospel is taken from the first chapter of Mark's gospel. We'll present the gospel as it is dramatically enacted, and after which we'll find out from you, Archbishop, what you believe is especially pertinent to our lives at this time. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to the people. 
But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, as we hear of Jesus' encounter with this leper? Well, again, as I've said, I think in past weeks, it's taken from the first chapter of Mark, because now in the season leading up to Lent, we're talking a lot about the beginnings of Christ's ministry. So here we have the condition of a leper. He says, if you wish, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I do will it be made clean. Again, this is one of Jesus' signs. Uh, Jesus performed miracles as a, not for their own sake, uh, but as a sign of his mission, who he was, and what he had come to bring to the world. And it says that uh, people kept coming to him from everywhere because, of course, if people are suffering illness or disease, they want to be healed. And I think uh, this is, you know, uh, true today. Jesus is the healer of body, mind, soul, and spirit. And uh, physical miracles still happen, but they don't happen with the same frequency as in Christ's public life, at least not in such a concentrated form, because the mission of the church and the proclamation of the gospel is now uh, diffused in a way that uh, where the, pro the revelation of who Christ is and what he came to do is established and, and becomes the source of preaching. But the Holy Spirit continues to uh, enlighten us and people's minds and hearts to accept that Jesus really is Son of God and Savior. And that's, that's the, the goal of, of every sign that we get from heaven, whether it's the miraculous sign of healing or whether it's the signs in our own life that leads us to, uh, uh, to be able to say, uh, you, you know, with St. Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus was swamped by these people who kept coming to him from everywhere, says Mark. Don't you think that the most popular subject of prayer today is prayer for healing, especially within the environment in which we're living with this pandemic? We are our most vulnerable when we're sick, and the more serious our illness, the more we get down on our knees to plead for healing. That's not a bad thing, is it, Archbishop? No, it's certainly not a bad thing. Uh, you know, disease and illness are uh, the sad effects of, of our fall from grace, you know, that sickness and death entered the world. And Jesus is the Savior. He's the healer of soul and body. We have the sacrament of the sick. Um, but again, the best prayer we can offer is, Lord, heal me in whatever way I need to be healed. Because we all have to also bear a cross with Christ, and we all eventually have to die. So sickness and disease, it's not that God wants us to suffer uh, for its own sake, uh, but it is the condition of, of our fallen state. And, and uh, just as Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, if this cup can pass in me, let it, be, let it pass, but you're, not my will but yours be done. So in, a, in a, uh, the mysterious way of the cross, Bearing the suffering of illness uh, can also be salvific. It can be redemptive. Uh, and it, can, it is a share in the passion and death of Christ for our salvation and the salvation of the world. There was a mother who contacted me just the other day. It said that she and her husband had COVID-19, and unfortunately, the husband died. The young girl, the daughter, said to her mother, 
Mommy, why did God do this to us? Why did God take Daddy away? What would you say to this young girl? I think she was about 10 years old, Archbishop. Well, of course, that's a tough one for uh, children. I think the strength and example of the mother's faith uh, is what can be imparted to this young girl. And really, in every situation where people suffer like this, I think uh, a simple telling of the basic kerygma, that is to say, the basic kernel of the gospel, to a, to a young person or any person in simple words, is the best that we can do uh, prayerfully. And that is the story of how Jesus came into this world to save us from sickness and death. And he conquered these things by being willing to accept his own death on the cross at the age of 30-something uh, with complete love and trust in God. And, and that this is, this is because uh, why we live in this world for a time we're meant to live forever with God in heaven. And so when people get sick and they die, it's not the end of their life. Uh, we all leave sooner or later, but sometimes we leave earlier and it causes sadness. But, uh, you know, that your, your daddy is still, still alive with God now. And one day, if we live a good life and are faithful to God and to Jesus, then we will see him again. We'll be with him again. You know, those kind of things. It's the simple truths of the gospel, I use that fancy uh, Greek word, you know, kerygma. It's mm -hmm. the fun, it's the, what the apostles went out and, and t told people when they, when they, after the resurrection and Pentecost, uh, the, the fundamental Christian message. And I think that, uh, that that's what, what we all have to do more, even in the normal circumstances of life, not just in a sad, tragic case of a death like you described. Let's look at some other questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Steve from Watertown says, I'm a justice of the peace, and ever since the pandemic caused restrictions on events, I have been busier than ever officiating at weddings. How do I deal with couples that want me to marry them in a civil wedding ceremony when I know they are Catholic? Since I am also Catholic, am I sinning if I marry them anyway? No, you're certainly not. First of all, you're just an official witness of the state. Uh, you know, when you say marrying, uh, obviously that you're doing it civilly. And uh, no, you, you're not. There are many things that people in civil life have to do, uh, carrying out their civil duties. Uh, that uh, you know, and, and there's many things about marriage, about validity for Catholics, non-Catholics, uh, that that uh, wouldn't enter into the fulfillment of this particular responsibility. Now, that's very different than a nurse being told that she's going to a Catholic nurse. Who's, that she's going to have to assist in killing a baby in abortion. That would yeah. be a very different situation. But fulfilling this civil uh, law requirement uh, for people in whatever situation, that, that certainly is not, not something that uh, you should be afraid of doing. And maybe not judging the people that come to you that you know might be Catholic and not being married, by, not being married in the church. Leave it up to God's providence to, to judge. Well, pray for them. Uh, pray for them. Say yes. a prayer that... That to God, let God handle it. Ask the Blessed Mother. Give it to the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. She knows how to handle things very well. Mark from Newington says, What does it mean that the Son was begotten by the Father and not made? Why this distinction? And why does it matter so much? 
Well, Mark, you're getting into the Trinitarian theology, and of course the Holy Trinity is a mystery revealed. It's uh, prefigured and echoed uh, in, the, in the Old Testament to a certain extent, but it's only with Christ that this full revelation comes about. And you know, I don't need to remind you what we say in the Creed on Sunday or the Apostles' Creed. Uh, begotten, not made, means that Jesus is not a, a creature, that Jesus truly is a one with the Father in divinity, that he is, because if the Father created uh, the Son, then the Son, you could not say, uh, is fully divine or divine at all. But the Son, the eternal Word of God incarnate, Jesus, as, for example, when Jesus told the crowd, before Abraham was, I am, this was scandalous to them because <laughs> Jesus was saying that he not only pre-existed, but that he simply is. He, he took the words, I am, which referred in the Old Testament to God. And of course, ultimately, that was one of the reasons or the reason that Jesus was crucified at his trial. This is blasphemy. So it has to do with faith in the divinity of Christ, that he is eternally begotten of the Father, not made, one in being with the Father, light from light, God from God, as we say in the Creed. Doesn't this also, Archbishop, point to the fact that human language is ultimately inadequate when describing the divine reality? Well, yes and no. It, it is certainly uh, inadequate, but uh, by the gift and promise of the Holy Spirit uh, to the Church, uh, that we, we can honestly say that the teaching that has been made on the basis of Scripture and w with the authority of those entrusted with it in the Church that uh, there, there is a truth to this, that it's not just some poetic thing of our imagination. In a limited but real way, it, ca it, it communicates the truth about God that, that he wants us to know. Ed from Suffield says, I understand the reasons and the potential good that can come from suffering, but why does God allow some to suffer more than others? Though none are completely innocent, there are many in the world who seem to suffer unfairly and undeservedly. Well, who more than Jesus Christ uh, was completely innocent and suffered unfairly and undeservedly? And that's my answer, because there is um, this great mystery of redemption, this great mystery of uh, embracing out of total love for God and trust in God. Because remember, crucifixion uh, and the suffering of the innocent unfairly and undeservedly is not the end of the story. It is, uh, uh, you know, this is something we will understand fully, uh, not in this world, but the world to come. Will from Derby says, I am concerned about the storylines that are presented on some of the popular television programs today, especially violent documentaries, which have grown immensely popular in recent years. I've read articles discussing how absorbed viewers get in a true story film. And as a Christian, this concerns me. What are your thoughts on the violence depicted in popular television shows or movies? Well, this has been a topic for a very long time. And I suppose with the modern means of technology and the broadening uh, of uh, anybody's ability to, to, to create things like that and, and share them with others, it becomes more of a problem. Uh, I, I don't know what to say except that you know, excessive violence or savage violence or immoral kinds of violence uh, is really uh, demeaning to people. It can it can it can have a bad effect on on a person. Uh, 
So I just, I would agree with you. I, I don't quite know what the solution is in a world where people nowadays are pretty much free to do what they want. I think what we have to do in our family life and such is that's the place where people have to be nurtured and uh, protected from such things, uh, shielded from it, not in the sense of uh, pretending it doesn't exist, but of uh, raising our young people to understand, uh, you know, that this kind of stuff is not being very wholesome or, or helpful. I don't know about you, Archbishop. When I sit down and watch television, and for the purpose of being entertained, I don't want to see violence on television. That, to me, is not entertainment. No, I, I, I agree with you. Why don't we um, conclude the program with a prayer and a blessing now, if you would, Archbishop. Lord, as we prepare to celebrate the season of Lent, uh, we pray that this grace, we will not allow this grace to pass us by, but by your help and inspiration, we may celebrate Lent worthily and well, that by our fasting and self-denial, by our prayer and acts of charity, uh, we will evermore purify our hearts to be those like the heart of Christ our Lord, who for our sake died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we pray especially in these days for those who are suffering as a result of the pandemic, whether it be uh, medically or the grief experienced at the loss of someone who's died. Uh, may your uh, consolation always be with us to save us and raise us up, putting all of our hope in you uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday. Until then, have a, uh, a, a very spiritually uplifting beginning of Lent. Very good. Thank you. 